Stanley ran with all his might. He ran for his life. His legs were like pasta, hard and sturdy, but each step was another second in boiling water getting softer and softer. Stanley fought his way to the top of a hill, pulling himself up by the support of dewy grass, and then took a moment to look behind him. There was no one riding against the backdrop of endless farmland and rolling green hills. No fiery torches or bells of alarm. Yet, with painful, heaving breaths, Stanley turned around to face the distant mountains and continued running. It was some time later, such that the risen sun had dried the grass under his muddy boots, that Stanley turned around to face the sound he'd been dreading to hear. A single rider atop his steed, with silver armor glinting in the light of the cloudless sky, was heading straight towards him. There wasn't much strength left to run, and his stride resembled more of a shuffle now, but Stanley pushed forward. The mountains and forest were still many miles off, and there was no hope to reach it. The sound of the horse's hooves grew louder, and Stanley's hope faded as his legs gave out. "'My dear fellow!' came a voice from beside Stanley. Stanley opened his eyes and squinted from the blinding sunlight above. He brought his hand up as a shield and saw a man squatting before him with a handsome face and a broad, white smile. The man's hair was golden and his eyes of the brightest blue. The rest of his body was in full armor, the armor of a knight. "'You are saved, my good man!' said the knight. Whatever your perils, they are now over. What? Stanley said, not believing his ears. You are saved! The knight's voice was triumphant and playful. Stanley sat up and looked around, still feeling confused. He expected a sword to the chest, not a cheerful knight expressing good tidings. Behind the knight, a single horse grazed a few feet away. Stanley looked back to the knight and then immediately back to the horse. He stared, then blinked and rubbed his eyes, but nothing changed the fact that this horse had only three legs. I knew it! Mom, what are you doing in here? How, how long have you been sitting on my bed? What? I wanted to hear the new story. It's that knight, Sir, Sir Morgan whatever, right? The three-legged knight again? Um, yeah, but... You blew the big reveal. Oh, oops. Sorry. If you're going to listen, you can't keep interrupting, Mom. Okay, not another word from me. Continue on, my little author. <sighs> okay, where was I? He stared, then blinked and rubbed his eyes, but nothing changed the fact that this horse had only three legs. And it wasn't missing a leg, instead, where there should be two legs in the front, this horse had one massive leg protruding from its chest. It was hard to look at, even grotesque. What's wrong with your horse? Stanley said. The knight looked affronted and stood up straight. There is nothing wrong with dear turtle. He is a loyal steed, hardened in battle. I'm sorry, Stanley said quickly. I didn't mean to suggest anything. I just never saw a horse like... Wait, his name is Turtle? Aha! Quite all right, my young man. Turtle has thick skin indeed. The knight slapped the horse's backside, and Turtle didn't move or budge from his grazing. Stanley got to his feet, his legs still feeling shaky. Sir, he began, where were you heading? Towards my destiny, of course. Which is where? Wherever evil lurks, for I am to vanquish all evil and save the world. The knight moved closer to Stanley with urgency, placing his hands on Stanley's shoulders. Tell me, my fine fellow, do you know of such an evil? Where my greatness is needed? Stanley thought to himself quickly. Yes, he actually did know of such evil. There were rumors. But he wanted to get away from such dangers, not move towards them. Yet, to go there would solve his first problem of getting out of the country, away from anyone who might know his name. Yes, I have heard of an evil like that, Stanley said. There are rumors of a darkness that is spreading over the Saxon territory up north. Rumors of dark magic and witches. 
The knight looked absolutely thrilled. My friend, that is it! Turtle! The knight turned to his horse. It's time for our next adventure! I can show you the way, Stanley called after him, desperation in his voice. If you take me with you, I shall be in your debt and... Stanley paused. And I shall help you on your quest. Then we ride, said the knight, and he swiftly mounted Turtle, who continued to graze. With a little help from the knight, Stanley also mounted the steed. My name is Stanley, by the way. What shall I call you? The knight turned his head around, his golden hair sparkling in the sunlight. I am Sir Morgan Dunstan. He kicked the horse and they began to ride toward the mountains. Welcome to More Than a Story, where each episode is an original short story and a little more. At the end of each story, I'll briefly discuss an idea you can take away from it. Something to inspire you, motivate you, or even challenge you to live out your biggest goals and dreams. My name is Derek Hennig, aka The Roaming Scholar, and it's my mission here and in everything I do to fill your day with something good. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed today's story and the return of the three-legged knight, Morgan Dundunston. Let's get to it. Many days followed riding through rocky terrain and through deep valleys thick with trees. The days and nights grew colder, yet the snows had not yet begun to fall. Fortunately, while passing through the first Saxon village, they were able to secure extra supplies and another horse for Stenley. Now they blended in with the Saxon people, all clad in garments made of thick furs, coats, pants, boots, and gloves. Sir Morgan Dundunston wore a fur rug like a cape over his armor. They followed the stories of villagers and the directions of a few clan leaders to where the darkness was said to be residing. The darkness that killed warriors who went to face it, and left farmers missing their entire stockpile in a single night, a feat no petty robber could manage. With their intentions to go and meet this darkness, and Sir Morgan Dundunston's assurance that he would save them all, the Saxons offered them no resistance. Nearing their destination, the base of the tallest mountain in the area, Stanley noticed that Sir Morgan Dundunston was looking around utterly perplexed. What's the matter? Stanley asked. We don't seem to be heading in the right direction, he said. They told us the source is just there, Stanley pointed to the mountain. Sir Morgan and Dunstan shook his head and smiled like an adult about to explain something to a naive child. My dear fellow, we are in search of a darkness. It is absolutely beautiful and bright here. The darkness is just a metaphor, Stanley said. Sir Morgan and Dunstan's face looked awed. Aha! I almost fought a meteor once. No, what? Stanley said. I said a metaphor. The darkness is just something evil that we don't understand, not actual darkness. Sir Morgan Dundunston nodded his head, but didn't say anything else. At the base of the mountain was a path between two large boulders heading into a dense forest. Upon one of the boulders sat a woman dressed as a Saxon in all furs. Her hair was dark, long and braided, hanging over her shoulder. She sat casually like she'd been waiting there for their arrival one leg dangling over the edge while leaning back on her elbow. Welcome, brave souls, she said, her voice tired. Stanley stopped his horse's motion, but Sir Morgan and Dunstan moved forward without hesitation. My lady, we are looking for an evil witch that must be vanquished, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said. The woman sat up straight on her boulder, almost face to face with the knight. You've come to the right place. There is indeed an evil magic here, yet I warn you, all who have tried to face it have died. Do we seem to be cowards? Sir Morgan and Dunstan laughed. I am the savior of Nussex. The woman looked past the knight to Stenley. Well, he looks a little squeamish. Stenley opened his mouth, but no words came out in retort. The woman laughed and he grew angry. Stanley kicked his horse forward beside Sir Morgan and Dunstan, glaring at her fiercely. Why are you here? 
Stanley said, and her laughter ceased. You can think of me as a guide, she said. I know what you're after and what you need to do it. But as I said, everyone who has attempted has died. Do not fear, my lady. I will protect you, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said, and the woman looked at him with uncertainty. My name is Blair, she said. What shall I call you? I am Sir Morgan and Dunstan, and this is Stanley. Blair looked at Stanley with a concentrated gaze. Is Stanley your real name? Yes, of course, he said defensively. Blair looked at him further, but then shrugged and turned back to face them both. In order to defeat the dark magic, you'll need magic of your own. This mountain holds the pieces to an ancient staff called the Pillar of Galbraith. If you can obtain the three artifacts and assemble the pillar, you will have a great power that can vanquish the dark magic here. Sounds perilous! Sir Morgan and Dunstan grinned with excitement. Lead on, my lady! Wait, Stanley said, and he lowered his voice, trying to whisper to Sir Morgan and Dunstan. Isn't it possible that she's the witch? I mean, why would she be helping us? She could be leading us to our deaths like all the others for some sort of fun. Sir Morgan and Dunstan looked at Stanley with his bright blue eyes and back to Blair, and then back to Stanley. Nonsense, my fellow! Nonsense! I would know a witch if I saw one, and Blair here is no witch. Sir Morgan and Dunstan laughed, and she laughed with him. Stanley's eyes remained on Blair, and he spoke with a raised voice. What are these three pieces we need to obtain? Blair's laughter died, and she looked to Stanley seriously. First, you need the bloodstone, which you'll need to contain the second artifact, the eternal flame. Finally, the golden staff. Well, what are we waiting for? Sir Morgan and Dunstan said. I'll ride with you, Blair said, hopping off her boulder and moving towards Stanley. Without waiting for approval or protest, she mounted the horse behind Stanley and wrapped her arm around his waist. She pointed over his shoulder with the other hand. The bloodstone lies at the bottom of a lake a few miles up the mountain. Sir Morgan and Dunstan reared, turtle onto his hind legs, and then took off into the forest. Stanley glanced back at Blair, and then followed after the knight. What's that? Stanley said, pointing off into the shadows of the dense forest. They'd been riding in silence for the last half hour, and his voice seemed to not belong. Danger? Sir Morgan and Dunstan said, and he brandished his sword, looking around. Cowardly foe, show yourself. It's just a well, Blair said simply, following Stanley's eyes. That's not like any well I've seen, Stanley said, his eyes fixed on a black hole in the earth in the thick of the trees, several yards off the trail. There were no stones around it, like he'd expect from a well, or a rope with a bucket, just a black hole. Keep your focus, Stanley, Blair said. We're here. Stanley turned his head away from the well to see the trail open upon a great alpine lake surrounded by sandy shores. At the sight of it, both Sir Morgan and Dunstan and Stanley immediately stopped their horse's stride. Stanley gulped back a pang of fear. Around the lake were several abandoned boats, canoes, and oars, remnants of past attempts to achieve the stone. Yet what caused them to pause, and Stanley's fear to mount, was the color of the water. Is that? Stanley began, but couldn't find the words. Blair spoke in his ear. It's not blood, just a product of the stone's magic. If you hold the water in your hands, it will look quite normal. Stanley's heart began to calm down a little, and Sir Morgan and Dunstan began to move forward. Wait, Blair called after him, and Sir Morgan and Dunstan turned around. You can't just go after the stone. There are magical defenses. Then I shall conquer them, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said. Okay, Blair said. Well, the stone is placed at the bottom of the lake in the very center. But all who get near the stone become entranced by it. They dive in after the stone, and they drown while simply staring at it. Then how do we retrieve the stone? Stanley said. I don't know, she said. But there is more. We have to go to the eastern shore, over there. 
When they arrived where Blair had taken them, she dismounted from the horse. Stanley and Sir Morgan and Dunstan followed. She walked them over to a large circular rock on the shoreline. Half of it was encircled by the lake, and the other half surrounded by the sandy shore. The three of them stood around the rock. There were carvings in the stone, words in a language Stenley didn't understand. What does it say? Stenley asked. It just says bloodstone, Blair said. Just a marker, as if we needed proof that this was the right location. She pointed to the blood-colored lake. But I've looked all around the lake for any other clues or carvings, and there's nothing. Stenley studied the rock as Blair watched when the sound of something large sliding over the ground filled the air. Looking up, they saw Sir Morgan and Dunstan dragging a small boat to the lake's edge. What are you doing? Stanley called after him. Sir Morgan and Dunstan looked back with a grin. I'm going to get the stone, of course. Blair chimed in. But didn't you hear what I said? You'll become entranced by the magic and you'll drown. I assure you, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said, that no magical trance shall befall me. This stone has met its match. Before either of them could protest further, Sir Morgan and Dunstan hopped into the boat and began to row away from the shore. Together, Blair and Stenley poured over the rock with great fervor. It's no use, Blair said. I've looked at this rock a hundred times. There's nothing else but the words blood and stone. Is there any other translation of the language? Stenley said. No. They heard the sound of a splash, and they looked to the center of the lake where the small boat now floated alone, with no passenger inside. Then it has to be obvious, Stanley said. Bloodstone. He had an idea and looked around. Do you have a knife? Something sharp? Blair pulled a knife from her boot and handed it to Stanley. The ripples in the lake from the night's initial splash had subsided now. There was no time to delay, and so, with a racing heart, Stenley cut the palm of his hand and then smeared the blood onto the rock. He looked up at the lake, his bleeding hand still resting on the stone. Just when he thought nothing would happen, something shot from the circular rock, under the water, to the center of the lake. It was like an underwater stream connected the two stones, the one under the water and the one above the water. Stenley didn't dare move his hand, and Blair placed her own over his, locking it in place, surely having the same idea. The water at the base of their stone began to part. Like a banana peel, the water split all the way to the center of the lake. Sir Morgan and Dunstan emerged, standing, drenched from head to toe, staring at a dark red ruby the size of a fist on the lake floor. Sir Morgan and Dunstan bent down, seemingly unaware of the wall of water around him and picked up the stone. He turned back to the shore and held it up to the sky. When he returned, Blair removed her hand from Stenley's, and Stenley removed his bloody hand from the stone. The water returned to its position with a splash, and the lake was now a brilliant turquoise color. I told you no trance would take me, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said. Stenley looked at him and held his arm out to the lake, but Sir Morgan and Dunstan didn't seem to understand. Blair stared at the bloodstone with excitement, and then Stanley watched the excitement turn into fear as she looked around them. What are you looking for? Stanley said. Blair spoke in a hushed tone. If this stone is to give us the power to vanquish a dark witch, then wouldn't that dark witch be watching it? I was thinking that. I mean, why hasn't the witch taken the stone for herself? Because the stone is protected, Blair said, looking around. No one who possesses magic may overcome the magical protection upon the artifacts. How do you know that? Stanley said, but Blair had already moved away towards Sir Morgan and Dunstan. Blair got the stone from the knight and she examined it. She held it up to the light, rubbed it, and then finally handed it back to him. I can't believe you've done it, Blair said, mostly speaking to Stanley. A promise of a knight, said Sir Morgan and Dunstan, is a promise you can always count on. Now, we must not dawdle in our quest. Get too proud. Quick, mount your steed, Stenley. Blair, we move on to the next quest. To the Eternal Flame! <music> Two 
cups rested on a stone column at chest height. Words, carved in the strange language Stenley could not read, went down the column in four lines. The column itself sat in the middle of an open and flat area like a natural stone terrace on the side of the mountain. Looking out from the terrace, suspended in the air between themselves and a distant mountain peak, a thousand feet or more above the valley floor, hung the eternal flame. It burned bright with a mix of violet and orange, impossibly out of reach. How does this work? Stanley asked, looking to Blair as Sir Morgan and Dunstan stood on the edge of the cliff, looking out to the eternal flame. The bloodstone can absorb the eternal flame, Blair said, but the question is how to reach it. That's where these cups come into play. What do the carvings say? Stanley said, and with the sound of clunking armor, Sir Morgan and Dunstan joined them by the column. It says, Blair said, drain cup, sink or float, cup refill, drain cup. Have others tried this? Stanley said, scratching his head. Yes, Blair said. Some have tried to figure this out before trying for the bloodstone, but nothing ever came of it. Every time someone drinks from one of the cups, the cups immediately refill themselves. So, Stanley began, hand on his chin in thought. One makes the drinker sink if they go off the edge, and the other will make the drinker float over the valley? I believe so, Blair said. The trick is that the liquid in the cups are both clear, and they have no smell, so there's no discernible difference between them. Then it is simple, said Sir Morgan to Dunstan. It is a game of chance. I shall tie a rope around my waist, drain a cup, and leap for the eternal flame. If I sink... I'd try again. Others have tried that, Blair said. They always fall and then eventually give up. Lesser men simply lack the will to continue on. I do not, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said. No matter how many attempts, I will not falter from our mission. Turtle! Sir Morgan and Dunstan walked away from the cups and pulled a long rope from the supplies that Turtle was carrying. Have people tried drinking both cups at the same time? Stanley asked turning back to the column and Blair. Yes, Blair said. No luck there. They've also tried two different people, each drinking one of the cups at the same time. Also, nothing. Sir Morgan and Dunstan stepped between Blair and Stanley and chose the cup on the left. He swallowed the contents in one gulp and placed the cup back on the column. It was already refilled with the clear liquid. Then, Sir Morgan and Dunstan stepped towards the edge of the cliff. A rope meandered from his waist to the base of a tree trunk on the outskirts of the stone terrace. The eternal flame! Sir Morgan and Dunstan shouted, fist in the air as he leaped off. He immediately plummeted straight down. Stanley heard his falling scream and the clank of his armor echoed in the valley as he slammed into the side of the mountain. The rope now taut. A minute later, Sir Morgan and Dunstan pulled himself up onto the terrace. Without any hesitation, he walked back over to the stone column. One step closer, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said and drained the cup on the right. Attempt after attempt filled the air with the yells of Sir Morgan and Dunstan, falling several feet before the rope held him back and slammed his body into the mountainside. Each time, the knight climbed back up and walked over to Stenley and Blair to try again. His armor was becoming dented and scraped, his hair darkening with sweat, but his demeanor remained unflinchingly optimistic. I believe I know the problem, Sir Morgan de Dunstan said, and he untied the rope from his waist as he walked over to the column. What are you doing? Stanley and Blair said at the same time. It must be a question of faith and belief, Sir Morgan de Dunstan said. I must swallow the contents and take a leap of faith. You'll die, Blair said. If I die, then the other cup will be the one to drink, and then you, dear Stenley, can take your own leap of faith. No, that doesn't make any sense, Stenley said, but Sir Morgan and Dunstan had already taken a cup from the column and drained it. Now or never, Stenley, Blair said. Drain cup, drain cup, drain cup, Stenley repeated to himself, thinking fast. Another wild idea occurred, and he acted on his instinct. Stanley grabbed both cups and tipped them over, pouring the contents to the ground, draining the cups in a different way. 
Clear liquid splashed to their feet from the one cup, but the other liquid was now suspended in the air and turned into the violet color of the eternal flame. Blair and Stanley looked at each other in awe, and then he remembered. Stop him, Stanley said, and Blair flew into action. Blair reached the knight and grasped his shoulders just as he made to jump. Stanley breathed a sigh of relief, then took the empty cup in his hands and collected the violet liquid from the air. It went back into the cup and remained its new color. What is the meaning of this? Sir Morgan and Dunstan said as he and Blair walked over. Here, Stanley said, holding out the cup with the newly transformed potion. This is the one you need to drink. That's the spirit, Stanley, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said. You're finally learning what it means to be a knight. Never give up. Sir Morgan and Dunstan drained the cup, and as he walked back towards the ledge, he began to float. Aha! He cried. Wait, Blair said, and she pulled the bloodstone from their supplies and handed it up to Sir Morgan and Dunstan, who was now floating several feet above the ground. The bloodstone will absorb the eternal flame. Don't try to touch the flame with your hands. It will destroy you. Not to fear, my lady! Sir Morgan and Dunstan took the stone. Together, Blair and Stanley watched in awe as the knight floated over the valley towards the suspended fire, bloodstone in hand, outstretched to capture it. You do well under pressure, Stanley, Blair said. That's the mark of a leader. Blair looked at him as she had when they first met, with a knowing glare, like she saw more than his physical presence. I just got lucky, he said, looking away. I was just a farmer. Was being the key word she said, and when he looked back to her, she winked. Stanley went to retort, to question her, but the sky suddenly grew dark, as if there were an eclipse, and a cold wind filled the air. Hey, I just want to take a quick 30-second break to tell you how you can best support myself and this podcast to keep these episodes coming. It's really easy. Share it with everyone you know, or write a review on your listening app of choice. Finally, visit my website to check out my very sweet and growing online store. There are mugs with awesome quotes, posters, music, and so on. That's theroamingscholar.com. Okay, thanks for your support, everyone, and back to the story. The darkness of the sky grew to the point where Stanley could no longer see Sir Morgan and Dunstan in the distance. All he could see was the faint glow of fire ensconced in the bloodstone floating steadily towards him. What's happening? Stanley called over the blowing wind. Even Blair, who was right next to him, was barely visible. She grabbed his hand and moved close to him so he could make out the grim expression on her face. Get Sir Morgan done whatever and get out of here. Blair went to step away, but Stanley pulled her hand and her face back to him. What's happening? He repeated. Nicholas, she said, and this time she pulled her hand from his. Light began to emanate from Blair, pushing the darkness away from her, like she were the eye of a storm. Then her hand shot out to the side and she was suddenly clutching a bright white rope. It pierced through the darkness and encircled the night about the waist. In the same way she was an eye in the storm, bathed in light, a similar light now engulfed Sir Morgan and Dunstan. Blair pulled and Sir Morgan and Dunstan shot towards her, landing in front of Stenley in a heap of dust. Blair turned to face Stenley, her eyes glowing white. Run, she said. Not knowing what to think, Stanley helped Sir Morgan and Dunstan to his feet and moved to find their horses. With a great quake of the ground, a tall, dark figure slammed into the earth directly in their path. His eyes were holes of blackness with long, dark hair and beard to match. The light that encircled Stanley and Sir Morgan and Dunstan seemed to be pulled away into the man's presence, dimming the world around them again. A wall of pure light sliced through the air like a barricade between themselves and the dark figure. 
Stanley didn't wait for Blair's calls to run and pushed on toward the horses. The light wall burst apart into tiny pieces, and from the horses, Stanley saw the dark figure turn his sights on Blair. We must battle the darkness, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said, pulling his sword from the sheath. No, Stanley said, grabbing the knight by the shoulders. Let's just get out of here. We do not cower from danger, we face it. What can we do against that? Stanley pointed to the warlock. Sir Morgan and Dunstan looked him in the eyes. A knight does what he can, conquers when he can, and dies when he must. With that, Sir Morgan and Dunstan was off, running at the warlock, sword held high in one hand, the bloodstone in the other. The warlock had a black lasso around Blair, and the light around her dimmed. Sir Morgan and Dunstan was feet from Nicholas, and the act must have surprised him as the lasso around Blair shattered like black glass to the ground. Sir Morgan and Dunstan was blown backward by a cloud of smoke with a lazy flick of the warlock's hand. But when Nicholas turned back to Blair, a wall of light, taller than the trees, pushed forward from her like a tsunami. Suddenly, the darkened sky was back to bright blue and the air was still. Quick! Blair called, out of breath, eyes still glowing white. That was lucky. He'll be back soon. They all mounted their horses, Blair behind Stanley, Sir Morgan and Dunstan atop Turtle, and they rode away, following Blair's instructions back down the mountain as fast as they could on the narrow trail. Blair stopped glowing once they were back by the alpine lake of the Bloodstone. No one spoke the entire way, but Sir Morgan and Dunstan whistled cheerfully. Blair hopped off of Stanley's horse without a word and walked away from the lake. Stanley thought he knew where she was going. He followed her off the trail into the forest to the mysterious dark well. Blair sat down before it, and all was quiet except for the clanking metal of Sir Morgan and Dunstan's armor as he tagged along. So you are the witch, Stanley said, unable to hold back a little accusation from his voice. I'm a witch, yes, Blair said. You lied to us. Stanley said, continuing his assault, unsure why he was even angry. I never pretended to be anything else. I told you a dark magic was here, and I told you that I knew how to vanquish it. I never said I was or wasn't a witch. Unlike yourself, Stanley. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, come on. Do you not know, or are you playing dumb? Blair glared at him with that focused gaze. No, you know. That's why you ran away. They found out. What are you? Stanley said, flustered. How do you know I ran away? Witch, she said as her proof. But I didn't even know until a few weeks ago that I'm a... Stanley couldn't say it. That you are a Corvus, Blair said, the son of the Frankish king. There is no Frankish king or Frankish kingdom anymore, Stanley said. But there could be again, if the rightful heir takes back his throne. I'm no leader, Stanley said. I am no king, and that name doesn't suddenly make me into one. All it brings me are enemies. So, you see, we're the same. How so? We both concealed our identity out of the fear of being persecuted. What would you have done if I told you I was a witch from the beginning? Stanley didn't say anything. He knew she was right, that his anger was unfounded, that it really had to do with himself, with his cowardice and his fear. So, what's the whole story? Stanley said, you seem to know mine. Descendant of the murdered king, now hunted by his enemies. What's with this well? My sister and I, Blair began, came to this mountain to seek the pillar of Galbraith. We heard of the staff from ancient texts and it became an obsession of ours. We were eager when we arrived only to find that the objects could not be obtained by one who possesses magic. I can hold the bloodstone now, but we could never be the ones to first grasp it. Part of the protections upon the artifacts. This warlock was also after it then? Stanley said. Nicholas is his name. Yes, he's been after it for many years, unable to find a way to obtain the pieces. But we didn't know this. We were ambushed, caught by surprise. If it were my sister and I against him, we could have defeated him. But before we could defend ourselves... Blair dropped her head low, trailing off. What happened? Stanley said, and yet again, Stanley felt he knew the answer that was coming. This, Blair gestured to the well, is a power well. 
Nicholas created it and Tara was sucked inside. It drains her powers and leaves her suspended below, frozen in time. How did you escape? Stanley said. I didn't have to, Blair said. That was his plan. The only way I can free her from the well to overcome that spell is with the pillar. He knows I'll do the work to lead others to try and obtain the artifacts for myself and, in his mind, for him. I wasn't expecting him to show until we got to where the golden staff rests. Were we just pawns? Stanley said, but in his heart, his anger was gone. All he felt was a determination. I never wanted any harm to befall anyone, Blair said. I merely need the staff to free my sister. If I could have saved the other men who tried, I would have. I warned them all, yet most ceased to listen and drowned in the lake. It seems plain, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said, and Blair and Stanley looked across the well to where he stood, unaware that he'd been listening. What's plain, Stanley said. We are here to vanquish darkness, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said. This lady here is lightness. Therefore, we are allies in this grand quest. We shall unite our forces, obtain the golden staff, unite the pillar, and destroy the warlock Nicholas. Blair stood up. I can hold Nicholas off for a time. He's powerful, but I believe we are an even match or near it. Then we, Stanley said, standing up with them, gesturing to the knight, we will free the golden staff and unite the pieces of the pillar. Aha! Sir Morgan and Dunstan sounded. Blair smiled brightly, and she seemed to glow. Stanley wasn't sure if this was her magic or not. The golden staff, Blair began, is located at the top of the mountain, encased in stone. None of them expected to be ambushed as they climbed back up the mountain trail, but the tension in the air was palpable. The sun was hanging lower in the sky and the ground and trees were now covered in snow. We're here, Blair said in a whisper. It was as she had described to them by the well. A large boulder, a perfect sphere, resting in the middle of a clearing of trees. It would be taller than Stanley when he dismounted from the horse. Inside the spherical stone, visible as if the rock were semi-transparent, the golden staff stood emitting a faint glow. As expected, the sky darkened, and a cold wind swept through the air. They dismounted their horses, and Blair was now a glowing figure. Beautiful as she was, the only way Stanley could describe her now was an indomitable force. Blair stepped towards Nicholas, who stood between them and the golden staff, her hands alight. Stanley and Sir Morgan and Dunstan turned away back into the forest at a run. They would slip around to the other side, avoiding Nicholas as much as possible. Stanley held out the bloodstone, which held the eternal flame, to light their way through the darkness. Flashes of light and sounds like cracking thunder filled the air. Stanley felt a pang of worry for Blair. Yet, they had their missions, and he pressed on with a determination he'd never felt before. The spherical stone that held the golden staff was rough to the touch and somehow warm. Words in an ancient language were carved into the side, illuminated by the bloodstone's red light. He wanted to see and check on Blair, but he forced himself to focus. Blair had told them what the words said. All you know. Sir Morgan and Dunstan didn't bother with the words or the riddle and pulled out his sword. He swung at the side of the stone and his sword shattered at the middle. Devil Stone! He shouted and proceeded to kick and punch the surface with little effect. Stanley focused on the words. He thought of Blair, and then back to the words. He stole a glance around the stone, and Blair and Nicholas were in a fierce battle. Whips of light and blades of black stone collided. The ground beneath their feet shook and rippled. Suddenly, Blair and Nicholas were both engaged in their fight, with their feet off the ground. Focus, Stanley! Sir Morgan and Dunstan shouted at him, grabbing him by the shoulders. I may be the greatest knight the world has ever seen, but there's no time for me to do everything on my own. Stanley returned to the carvings. The answer was in those words, all you know. 
Sounds of Blair and Nicholas's magic crashing into each other and the flashes of bright light filled the air, just as lightning surged through Stenley's mind. All I know must refer to the other two artifacts, he thought. The bloodstone clue was obvious, put blood on the stone. And the potions had to be dumped into the air to transform into the flying potion. What was common between them? Air, Stanley yelled aloud. The bloodstone's enchantment didn't stop until the water was pulled away, until it was exposed to air. And the potion transformed in air. Stanley turned back to the words. He looked closely and felt with his hands. Then he saw it, and with his finger confirmed it, a small hole disguised inside the words carved. He immediately put his mouth to the stone and blew through the hole as hard as he could. An odd sensation filled him, and within the space of a blink, Stanley was inside a domed room. He'd been transported somewhere else, but Stanley didn't bother to figure out where. In the center of the room was the golden staff, glinting, the only source of light. Stanley walked along a small stone path and, without fear, grabbed the staff. The walls around him began to shake and crumble. They didn't fall to the ground, but instead disintegrated. Soon, the walls were gone and he was standing in the snowy forest clearing. Blair was once again wrapped with a black cord around her, the light dimming from her presence. Horse hooves sounded next to him and looking up, Sir Morgan de Dunstan was beside him atop Turtle. Quickly! Sir Morgan de Dunstan said, holding out his hand. Stanley grabbed the bloodstone and slammed it atop the golden staff. The stone and flame melted into the staff, bleeding down the sides like snaking veins of violet and red blood. Stanley handed the pillar of Galbraith to Sir Morgan de Dunstan, surprised to feel a sense of trust in doing so. The knight rode atop his three-legged horse towards Nicholas, the pillar held low, out of sight from the warlock. In his other hand, Sir Morgan of Dunstan held his broken sword aloft, letting loose a barely audible war cry. Nicholas clearly noticed the knight, but didn't blast him aside like he did last time. Blair remained bound as a dark, swirling hole appeared in the ground below her floating body, a power well. Blair was whipped down towards the hole by the black ropes around her, and Sir Morgan and Dunstan suddenly jerked Turtle directly towards her, away from Nicholas. The knight threw his broken sword like a dagger at the warlock's head. Blair's body reached the edge of the power well as Nicholas turned to deflect the blade. Sir Morgan and Dunstan leaped off of Turtle's back, pillar in hand, diving towards Blair in the power well. Blair and Sir Morgan and Dunstan disappeared into the black hole and Nicholas turned his sights on Stenley. A blinding light suddenly filled the forest, blasting Nicholas and Stenley to the ground. It filled the air and rose from the ground all around them. Not a flash, but a lingering brightness. Through it, Stenley saw, standing tall and furious, Blair with the pillar of Galbraith in her hand. Another woman, also aglow in brilliant light, stepped beside her. Then Sir Morgan and Dunstan, somehow back atop Turtle, trotted forward on Blair's other side and reared the horse back onto its hind legs, the single front leg kicking outwards to the air. Nicholas gained his footing and stepped forward with his hands open. He threw his hands forward and a jet of black substance shot forward a foot and then back into his hand. Again, he made the same motion, but the black magic barely left his palms. Blair raised the pillar of Galbraith and slammed it into the earth. Directly in front of the warlock grew a black hole in the otherwise pure white scene around them. His screams couldn't be heard as Nicholas was pulled, sucked in like a tornado, disappearing into the power well. The brilliant light that filled the forest subsided, although Blair and her sister remained with their bright eyes and glowing skin. Blair's sister stepped forward, raised her palms, and a giant slab of stone enclosed the power well. The sun was now set, and the stars speckled the night sky, no moon to dim their shine. Blair held out the pillar of Galbraith, and with a tap on the earth, they were transported in a flash of golden light to the base of the mountain. 
They were back where Stanley and Sir Morgan and Dunstan had first met her. Blair and her sister hugged each other, whispering words Stanley did not dare overhear. Stanley felt light as air. A weight he didn't realize he'd been carrying was gone. My, my, what an adventure, Sir Morgan and Dunstan said, striding over, pulling Stanley and the two sisters into an embrace. Stanley, the knight faced him and placed a hand on his shoulder. You have grown, my fellow. You are no longer in need of a savior. You are welcome. Sir Morgan and Dunstan turned and rested his other hand on Blair's shoulder. Blair, you brought me a great challenge, and I proved I am destined for much greater threats. He ignored Blair's sister and stepped away to Mount Turtle. Where are you going? Stanley said. My friend, I am off to save the world, of course. Each adventure leads me closer to my destiny. I shall not rest until I find it, for the evil of the world is not resting. Blair stepped forward. You'll find what you're looking for to the west. Sir Morgan and Dunstan reared Turtle back and rode off into the night. He's heading east, Stanley said. Blair smiled knowingly. This is my sister, Tara. Stanley shook her hand and bowed to her. Thank you for all you've done, Tara said. You know, Blair said, looking to Stanley, he was right in the end. Sir Morgan Dun... Dun... He was right. About what? You're no longer in need of saving. It is time for you to reclaim your name, your throne. Stanley felt at peace, as he'd already come to this realization himself. I am ready. Your journey back to the throne begins where you sought supplies for this journey. Go there, and your path will be clear. Thank you, he said. What will you do? Blair turned to Tara. The pillar must be dismantled again, and hidden with deeper protections, far from myths and legends. We don't need the power, and no one else should have it. Suddenly, Tara stepped away with a small nod to Stenley, walking back into the forest. Blair stepped forward to Stenley and brought his lips to hers. White fire burned through him. All that, though, Blair said, can wait until tomorrow. Peter! My, my! What a lovely story, but I think... What? Ted! Ted, come here! What are you calling Dad for? Honey? Okay, okay. It really was a great story, honey. Bye! What's going on? Mom thinks it's time for us to have a little chat. Oh, no, no, it's no, It's totally no. fine, son. Now, the birds and the bees. Okay, stopping recording. Thank you all for listening. I was so excited to bring back Sir Morgan and Dunstan, and I hope you were happy to hear his return. I think, with your yays, that he could become a recurring character once a year or so? Let me know on Instagram or Facebook what you think. Before I get to the takeaway idea, I just want to take a quick moment to say an extra thank you to my Northeasterners. This past month, there were downloads in New Hampshire, Maryland, New Jersey, and of course, New York. So I just want to pause and say hello to you all and thank you. Now, today's takeaway idea I think is really cool. It's perhaps just a different take on an idea you've heard before, but still, I love it. The idea popped into my head the other night before I fell asleep. Remember from the story, Blair's sister was trapped in what she called a power well. It robbed her of her magical abilities and trapped her suspended in time. So, before I fell asleep, the question popped into my mind. What is your power well, Derek? Huh. That's an interesting thought, I thought. What is my power well? What is that thing or things that drain my power, my energy, my magic? It got me thinking, and I'm still thinking about it days later because I just love the idea. I feel like it gives the concept more substance and power by making it visual. You can actually imagine these things sucking the life out of you, pulling your magic away like a black hole, leaving you incapable of your true potential. 
or like Blair's sister, leaving us trapped, suspended in time, incapable of growth or change, and ultimately powerless. Again, I find the visual of it to be the important part. We've all probably heard before to watch what we eat or be careful what we read and listen to, what you absorb. Now, you can imagine that extra cookie or that bag of chips pulling the lifeblood from you. You can imagine that next Netflix binge sucking at your soul. It's, of course, not really that intense, but it's a cool thing to use if you're trying to change something. To repeat, if you're trying to change something. Identify the drains, the power wells. They could be people, habits that we unconsciously fall back on, addictions, your own thoughts, beliefs, whatever. Find those things that you wish to change that are dragging on your energy and now use the visual of the power well to help you make the change. Help make those things less desirable. Soon, you'll be dazzling the world with your magical ways. Thank you all again for listening and before I go, I want to share something new that you can check out on my website. Every day, I am taking a word of the day from various sources, and I'm writing a bit of flash fiction inspired by that word. Two goals from this. First is for me to write every day, regardless if I'm working on a short story or novel. I do it all in less than an hour, and it's a challenge to work a story in 250 words. That's about one page double-spaced if you don't know. The other goal is for you all to join me with your own craft. If you're a painter, can you paint something simple in an hour inspired by the word? Can you write a musical melody, record it, and upload it in under an hour? Take your art, your craft, and join me every day on this adventure. Either way, I hope it's enjoyable for you to read these bits of flash fiction. I'm two weeks in now and truly loving some of the writing I've come out with. I hope to see you there or on social media at The Roaming Scholar and at More Than a Story Podcast. See you all next time.